Morning, Mercy House. I'm actually more excited than that sounded. Good morning, Mercy House. Sorry. <clears throat> We've got a nice hot summer day today. After a nice cool summer day yesterday. So I want to welcome you all here. Uh, Robert is not here today, clearly. Uh, he is, I'm not actually not sure where he is. Does anyone know where Robert is? Indianapolis. Apparently, I'm not on Facebook this weekend, so I don't know where he is, but he's not here. Uh, and, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue walking us this morning through uh, our series on the spiritual gifts. Uh, and there are a few things that I want to say. There's a, there's a lot to cover this morning, so I want to just dive into it. Uh, there are a few things I want to say before we start uh, to help kind of recap the series. If you're just joining us today or haven't been here in a couple Sundays, um, hopefully this will give you a little bit of context for this morning. Um, so our working definition so far, as, as we look at the spiritual gifts, they are unique, specific skills or abilities that are given to us by God. Um, they are empowered by God in order to grow the kingdom of God. So you guys hear that? that that's kind of how we've been understanding the spiritual gifts. Um, it's important to understand that, that the spiritual gifts aren't so mystical that only like a few choice people are able to have them, like being a Jedi, right? Not everyone can be a Jedi. You have to have those, a specific count of midi-chlorians inside your body, right, to, in order to be a Jedi. Some people are like, yeah, I know you're talking. Other people are like, what, what is he talking about? Well, not everyone can be a Jedi. Um, so spiritual gifts aren't like that. It's not like the super unique thing that only some people have. But on the other end of the spectrum, um, it, it's not so generic that everyone has all of them, right? It's not like when you're in elementary school and they say everyone is special. Everyone is special, but not everyone has all of the spiritual gifts. There's kind of a space in between. So these skills or abilities... Um, they might be ones that, that you're born with, uh, but as we saw last week looking at the gift of, or looking at Pentecost, um, they're, they're not fully awakened and, and really blossomed until the Holy Spirit resides inside of us to then empower those gifts to their full potential. And so if you have a relationship with Christ, if, you're, uh, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then, then you have spiritual gifts, um, and while it's clear that, that some people are given a greater portion of a gifting, it doesn't mean that the rest of us are, are exempt uh, from using a particular gift, even if you're not gifted with it. Uh, and I think in order for us to, to really start understanding this in a healthy way, we need to start viewing spiritual gifts uh, less as these superpowers or these really unique special abilities and more just as responsibilities that we're given as we mature in our relationships with Christ. And so there's been a real challenge um, with each sermon to actually exercise your gifts so we're not just talking about these things, but we're actually doing them, um, in part because when we use them, um, we get to experience God sustaining those gifts. We get to grow deeper in relationship with God. We get to learn more about ourselves and how God has purposefully made each and every one of us. Um, and while those are all really good reasons to use our gifts, primarily we, we ought to be using our gifts because we're actually commanded to. And a part of this command um, is to, to, to proclaim the gospel to other people, to, to minister to other people, and to build the kingdom of God, which is our calling as believers. And so these gifts aren't meant to be used, um, or these gifts are meant to be used to bless others, to, to face outward. Uh, but since God is really awesome, we also get to experience some of the blessings of using those gifts as well. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, another po uh, important point to remember is that the gifts um, are portioned to each person in the way that God sees fit, which means that it isn't necessarily a fair, equal distribution amongst all of us as believers, uh, which is why we see such diversity in the body. There are mouthpieces, there are eyes, there are hands, there are feet, and so on. But even in this diversity, when, when we have different portionings of the giftings, um, even though that your specific gift uh, might not be talked about on a particular Sunday morning, I think the challenge is to, to not tune out. Right? If you hear a gift, you're like, oh, that's not me. Uh, you still need to, to listen to this. Um, and there are two reasons for that. One is at some point, at some point, you will be given the opportunity to use whatever gift we're highlighting each week, right? So some people are uh, just going to be inevitably, all of us, I believe, are going to be inevitably called um, to use a spiritual gift that, that you might not consider yourself to be gifted in. 
So whether that is to speak truth to somebody else and, and speak truth into their, their life, um, to encourage somebody uh, and help them through a hard time, to help someone understand a biblical truth that they're wrestling with, to help provide for somebody's needs or, or to tangibly meet somebody's needs, to lead someone through something, to share and proclaim the gospel to someone. See, these aren't superpowers, right? Um, they're responsibilities of a mature Christian. So that's why we shouldn't tune out. Two, second reason why we shouldn't be tuning out uh, is that when we're able to understand all of the spiritual gifts, it allows us um, to take care of certain parts of the church body, and, and it allows us to then also operate more effectively as a, as a full body. Um, so you might be seeing that as we talked about prophecy and, and, and as we talk about more of the gifts, um, some of them, they just come with a lot of baggage. It's not just all fun and awesome. These gifts uh, present a lot of ways that, that we can be um, using them in, in broken or distorted fashions. And so when we, when we can understand the giftings and see where people not only uh, are fruitful but then also struggle, uh, we can help encourage our brothers and sisters. And, and out of that, we can collectively be a, a more fruitful body. When we know that these people do that, awesome. We can kind of offload some work over here so that they can be more productive and not make these people do that, right? So when we have an understanding of where everyone fits into the body, it helps us be more fruitful as a whole. All right, so that's where we're at. That's kind of uh, spiritual gifts in a nutshell. Uh, last week, we looked at the gift of prophecy, uh, and I think Robert did a, a great job at, at just giving us a, a biblical and practical understanding of the gift of prophecy, how it can really come in the form um, of the Holy Spirit pressing upon us certain truths or realities that, that can help edify our brothers uh, and sisters. And I found it really helpful that Robert gave us uh, really some ways that we can receive the gift of prophecy, that, that as someone tells us something, we can hold it up to, to what we know to be true about God. Uh, we can hold it up to uh, see if it fits into our, our understanding uh, in the truth of the gospel, uh, whether or not other people have hinted or, or, or suggested the same things to us. And, and if it lines up with all of those, then, then we can humbly receive it. Uh, but if it doesn't, we, it's okay to reject it. Um, I think the one thing that Robert said that really stuck out to me was that the gift of prophecy is weird when we make it weird, right? So if you go up to someone and you're like, I have a word from God, and, and, right, and you like build it up, it, it's probably going to be received a little bit weird. Not to say that what you're saying is automatically an untruth if you build it up like that, but Robert was saying that th there's a humble way to go about um, sharing a prophetic word with somebody in a way that they can, they can digest it, right? They, they can actually understand it. Um, so I, I thought that that was really helpful. And so this week, we're going to be talking about the gift of service, the gift of service. And let's be honest, it's definitely not as exciting as the gift of prophecy, right? This morning, we're going to be talking about service. Uh, anyone read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis? It's kind of like that scene uh, when all of the kids get uh, weapons for war, right? So Peter gets this sword uh, and a huge shield with like a giant gold lion on it. Uh, Susan gets this bow and arrow. She gets a horn to blow that like calls in reinforcements. And then it gets to uh, little Lucy, right? And, and she gets like a butter knife and some ointment to put on her cuts, right? Uh, it, it's a little anticlimactic at that. I, I remember being like, oh, we should give Lucy something a little more than that little dagger. But while it might not seem cool, right, the gift of service, uh, the gift of service is a very, very special gift. It's special because it, it is the means by, by which God himself meets the needs of people like you and me. Think about that for a minute. The, the gift of service is the means by which the infinitely powerful divine creator of the cosmos can tangibly and personally meet each and every one of our needs. And so we're going to learn more about this in a minute, but before I, I really jump in, um, I want to pray for us. So Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, another morning where we get to wake up, we get to breathe, we get to um, live in a, in a place where we're not fearful about our faith, that we can preach and proclaim the gospel freely here, God. I pray this morning that as, as we look at what it means to serve, um, that you would, you would be releasing us to serve, God, um, that you'd be getting us excited about the larger vision of how service fits into uh, your body, into your church. Lord. So uh, I pray for those with the gift of service that, that you have specially portioned um, an extra dose of service um, into them, God. I, I pray that, that you would awaken them if, if, um, if they don't 
know or, or that they're not aware of their gift in God, that, that they would see what they're called to do. Um, and for the rest of us, God, would you see how we can use service, how we can serve um, in a more fruitful um, way that, that would bring us joy uh, and, and glory to you. We love you, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so what is the gift of service? <clears throat> So let's define it so we specifically know uh, what we're talking about in the context of Scripture. Um, so in Romans 12, 7, if you have your Bibles, I don't know if it'll be up there, but it was the reading that we just went through. Um, the, the Greek word that was translated as service is uh, diakonia, for service, uh, which translated means uh, really simply to wait tables, right, to wait tables. Diakonia, this Greek word, is, is also the derivative of the word diakonos, sound like anything, which is uh, the, the word that we get deacon from, diakonos. All right, so, and we're going to look a little bit later what that, uh, what that means, but diakonos is translated um, as servant. Uh, the other place that we see the Greek word for service in the context of the gift of service uh, is in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, in the form of uh, antelepsis, antelepsis, I'm sorry, my uh, Greek is a little rusty, uh, which it means to, to aid or to help to aid or to help. And so when we put these two together, I think that we can start getting a picture of what Paul is trying to articulate when he's talking about the gift of service. So the spiritual gift of service is the ability to see and meet tangible needs of other believers. And I'll say it again. The spiritual gift of service is the ability to see uh, and also meet the tangible needs of other believers. Believers. Uh, and, and there's a little bit more to it than that. Not, not only is it seeing and meeting the needs of believers, but, but the larger picture of that is that in meeting the needs of, a belie- of believers, it frees those believers who are having their needs met to then more freely and effectively use their spiritual gifts. Does that make sense? So, so that's kind of like the, the end goal of serving a brother or a sister, right? You're meeting their needs so that they can go do something else uh, and use their spiritual gifts. And so open with me to Acts chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, and this will be on the screen behind me. So in Acts chapter 6, shortly after Pentecost, which is what we talked about last week, the the early church is is going through, uh, they're growing at at a pretty ridiculous pace. The apostles are preaching the gospel, they're teaching new disciples of what it means um, to to look like a a disciple and and to follow Jesus uh, as a disciple, and and it's this beautiful scene as the early church um, is in its early stages of trying to just figure out how to do church uh, beyond 12 people and Jesus in a room, right? So we've got hundreds, thousands of people coming to faith. Um, There's no established church. They're they're just figuring it out as they go. So uh, in chapter 6, we read in verse 1, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick Out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we shall appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, or Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so what's happening here is you have thousands of Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus uh, in Jesus Christ. Within the Jewish community right, uh, that exists at that time, there are Hebrews, um, and then there are the Hellenists. Um, and to put it simply, the, the Hebrews were a little bit more traditional, um, and, and they had adhered a little bit more strictly to uh, the Jewish customs and traditions. And then you have the Hellenists, who were a little bit more progressive. They were adapting to the Greek culture uh, around them. Um, and, and while there's no overt combativeness between these two groups, there is a little bit of tension because of that ideology. Um, 
and, and as the early church is distributing food uh, and goods amongst themselves and taking care of one another's needs, you can read this all in, in Acts chapter 2 um, toward the end there. It, it seems like while they're doing this, this group of the Hellenists, um, uh, some of them were not getting things in the daily distribution. And so commentators uh, would, would kind of loosely agree uh, that this probably wasn't malicious or deliberate, uh, but just really a mistake due to a poor supervision or, or, or administration of the whole process. So remember, we're talking about a community of thousands of people sprouting up almost overnight. And so the apostles see this problem, and, and they're basically like, listen, you don't need us to help you solve all of the problems. I choose some solid people full of the spirit and wisdom uh, who can serve, and, and these would become the first deacons that are um, ordained in the church, uh, which will then free us to be able to focus on praying and, and, and preaching, which is what we've been uh, commissioned to do. And so this scripture really is the institution of the gift of service and also the office of deacon at the very same time. Uh, but look how beautiful it is. I, I think at first it would seem a little bit snobby for the apostles to say, like, okay, hire some people to take out the trash. We can't be busy doing that kind of stuff. We've got more important things to do over here. Uh, but that's, that's not what's happening. Um, it says that after the apostles pitched this idea, everyone, the, the Hebrews and the Hellenists, they loved the idea. They, it says that they were pleased. Uh, everyone who gathered there was, was pleased. Um, there was no bitterness, there was no resentment, there was no jealousy, like, hey, why do you get to go preach and I have to be back here distributing food to these people? There, there was a consensus that this was a good, good idea. Uh, John Piper, he's an author and a pastor, he says that spiritual gifts do not uh, lift us above one another, it, it empowers us to lower ourselves in service to others. So it's, it's not just the gift of service that, that requires this humility. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago and, and during the first sermon of the series about how humility and self-sacrifice are, are basically the foundation of how these spiritual gifts um, are to be worked out in our lives. Not just the gift of prophecy, but the gift of service and, and all of the ones that we're going to be talking about during this um, sermon series. So again... These are not uh, superpowers that we get to use to make much um, of ourselves. They are responsibilities that God gives us to benefit and grow his church. And so the apostles, um, the church as a whole, those first deacons, they understood the large picture, which is the growth of the church and the spreading of the gospel as most important. And I think that they discover a truth that's, that's still true for us today. <coughs> Excuse me. And this truth is that the, the gift of service um, is the oil that keeps the engine of the church running smoothly. The gift of service is like the oil that keeps the engine of the church running smoothly. So engines have tons of moving parts. Each part has a very specific per, uh, purpose that it was created for. But without oil, right, uh, those parts would rub against each other, causing heat from the friction uh, eventually until the engine would seize and just no longer work the way that it's supposed to to work. The church needs people with the gift of service using their gift of service, just like an engine needs oil in order to function properly. And so the early church was able to be excited and pleased with this idea um, to delegate these, these different giftings and roles uh, because it meant that the engine as a whole could run more smoothly. They saw that. That's why they were able to be pleased. They, they were caught up with, with, with this mission of the church as a whole, uh, not just the accolades of an individual. And the evidence of a healthy, smoothly running engine of a church is that there's fruit, it, that, that it would be actually working. So look at verse 7. Right after they commissioned the first deacons, it says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly, and, the, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so it, it's working. The, the end goal of serving is this. It's not to make much of ourselves or, or to feel good about doing good things. That, that's not the purpose of serving. The purpose of service in here uh, that we see here in verse 7 is, is that the gospel is continued to be spread, uh, that more people would come to know Jesus personally, and those who know Jesus would mature in their faith and become deeper in, grow deeper in relationship with God. That's kind of like the threefold process of, of why we serve. Um, if we're not excited about the idea of serving, right, it's because we have a very narrow view of what it means to serve. But this, is, this is the bigger view. This is the view that we ought to be having um, when we're doing any act of service. 
And so this, as, as I've just explained, is kind of service from 30,000 feet. Um, and that's how it kind of fits into the larger body of the church as a whole. But what does it look like practically and tangibly on, on the ground uh, for us today? Well, in this passage in Acts, uh, we see that, that there are some pretty serious administrative tasks that are given to the first deacons um, in their role of servants as they're using their gift of service. Um, what happens is, right, you've got thousands of people coming together. What they're doing is they're pooling all of their resources um, and sharing it with anyone who has need, um, which, is a relatively, uh, which is relatively simple, right, when you're sharing things, but it's simple in the context of like a potluck with 12 of your friends as everyone brings in like brings food and then you distribute food to all of those people. But we're talking about thousands of people. So imagine doing a potluck for like 10,000 people, right? It would be like an administrative nightmare for those of us who don't have the gift of service. For them, um, this is one of those instances where technology would have been really helpful to them, right? There's no Facebook uh, buy nothing Jerusalem group, right? They can't just log on and post what they have and other people can be like, oh yeah, I need that. And everyone comments and they do like a drawing at the, no, there's none of that. They have to develop this from scratch, uh, whatever is being donated uh, is going to have to somehow be cataloged, right? Because it's not just a handful of things in a small room. It, it's a lot of things. So you need to keep an order of the things that are, that are being donated. It, it needs to be categorized based on what it is, so then you can find it later on. Uh, it needs to then be stored somewhere, not just in someone's basement. But this is a lot of stuff that's, that's coming to one place. Uh, there needs to be some sort of system in place so that, the, that it's not complete chaos uh, when people need things, but that, uh, so that people can be served fairly and equally when they, when they need something. There needs to be a way to just measure quantities of things for people and, and to ration it for other people. You need to be able to figure out a way to deliver it to other people. They can't necessarily come and pick it up uh, themselves. And, and so I, I want to make this clear that the gift of service um, is not having the ability to serve, right? The gift of service is not having the ability to serve. Uh, someone doesn't necessarily have the gift of service if they're a hard worker and they don't grumble about their work. We're all called to be hard workers and not grumble when we do our work. Um, the gift of service it is more than having a good work ethic and being okay working behind the scenes. And I think this is a common misconception when we look at the gift of service. But the people with the gift of service... Um, they're able to see a need and, and then figure out how to have that need met. So it can be as linear as, as uh, so there are gaping holes uh, in our driveway, right? Um, those holes are slowly destroying all of our cars. Um, I can probably get some gravel um, and some cold patch at Home Depot, uh, and, and I actually have some time this afternoon, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do that. Right? Pretty linear thought process there. Need identified. I, I'm figuring out how to, how to meet that need, and then I'm, I'm going to go do it. Um, it. It could be even more simple as um, there's a lot of crumbs on the floor back there. Um, let me find a broom, and I'll sweep it up. Right? So I see identify a need. And what's crazy is uh, not everyone is thinking this way, and that's okay. This isn't meant to make you feel bad. There are, sp there are people with the gifting of, of, of service that see, like, they zone in on, on, on all of the needs. Like, right now, um, they're probably looking around and seeing, like, what needs to be done in this space and in this room. That's not everyone. No, not everyone here is, like, sitting like this looking around or, you know, looking at the stage or whatever. But some people are geared in that way. So it could be as simple as just meeting a need, but the gift also has various levels of maturity and gifting portion. And so for the, the, the seven deacons who were chosen um, and ordained, it wasn't completely on them to personally meet all of the needs for thousands of people. That, that would have been impossible for just seven people. Um, it wasn't as linear for them as moving objects from point A to point B, um, as much as it was for them to develop systems and structures um, and, de and delegating tasks in order to meet the needs of all the people in the church. People who are gifted with service, um, they often have administrative bents. And not always, uh, but typically the gifting comes with, with the ability to, to problem solve um, and to coordinate details. Uh, people with the gift of service are, are often uh, detail-oriented people. Not to say that they can't be big picture, but that, that's typically what you see in a person uh, with the spiritual gift of service. 
So if you're a person who sees a, a really messy space and you have the ability to organize it and develop an effective uh, system for organization, then you, you might have the gift of service. Um, if you can coordinate people and details and lots of moving parts in order to accomplish a task and maybe get some enjoyment out of that, you, you might have the gift of service. Um, if you're good at planning ahead for like a trip or a camping outing and, and you make a checklist to make sure that you, you get everything that, that you need, well, you might actually have the gift of service. And if you can do all these things and, and you're wondering, can't everyone do this? No. <laughs> no, not, not everyone. Uh, I mean, we can all, every one of us can try our best to organize a space, right? Uh, but the people, the person with the gift of service is going to organize it better um, and more effectively and, and actually get some semblance of enjoyment out of it. We can all go grocery shopping, right? We, most of us have to go grocery shopping, but the person with the gift of service is most likely not going to forget anything. They're going to do it in one trip, um, and, and they're going to be able to get the best prices for everything. So I think that's a couple of ways of, of how it manifests itself. Um, if you were taking a spiritual gifts test, you might see administration on there. So the, the spiritual gifts test, they, they break them down. A lot. There's like 25 gifts. Um, our sermon series this summer, I believe, is going through the eight that are highlighted um, in Rome, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Romans 12, uh, the beginning of Romans 12 there. Um, and so what I would say is that um, the gift of administration fits under the umbrella uh, of service. So, that's what I'm describing here this morning. And that's kind of what you see in the beginning uh, of Acts there as the, as the gift of service is being played out, is more of that administrative side of things. But that's really not the only way that the gift of service uh, manifests itself. So open your Bibles to 1 Kings. It's in the first portion of the Bible, the first half. <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 8. So as you're opening up there, let me just fill us in uh, very briefly. So we've got a prophet named Elijah, uh, who was who a pretty big deal. He, he's what you call a big P prophet, um, who not only spoke the words of God, but there were numerous supernatural and, and pretty epic miracles that were part of his ministry. So we're talking about be, uh, bringing a boy back from death, um, having fire rain down from heaven, and eventually he, he would be taken up to heaven uh, in a whirlwind in a tornado, which is crazy, right? But that's what happens. So here in chapter 19, uh, what we're going to see is a very human side to Elijah. So Elijah just showed up some priests of a false god named Baal um, and, and had them killed in that process. And, and these priests uh, that, that were killed belonged to King Ahab and his queen Jezebel. And they're clearly upset because um, he just killed their priests. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so, uh, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake, a cake bread, cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, the mount of God. So the gift of service can involve creating administrative systems and structures of organization on a, on a larger scale, like we see in Acts 7. But at its core, having the gift of service simply means to be able to see and meet, uh, see and discern a need of a fellow brother or sister and then meet that need. So, so here in 1 Kings, um, we see this, this mighty prophet, Elijah, who, who just, he, he called down fire from heaven to engulf and destroy a water-soaked 
demon altar made out to Baal. That's what happened right before. If you're interested, you should read it. It's a pretty amazing account um, of God's power and faithfulness. But that's just what happened. And, and here he's being threatened by a queen saying, hey, I'm going to get you back. And for some reason, it just it shakes him to the core, right? It, it, it just un, unloads the faith that you, you had just seen uh, a couple chapters before this. And, and, and he He's left in this place of just deep despair and deep depression. Uh, and if you've ever been depressed or, or experienced despair, you can probably empathize with, with Elijah here. Uh, as he, he crawls under a tree, kind of, I, I imagine, in like a little bit of a fetal position, and just asks God to take his life, and, and then he, he falls asleep. And then an angel appears. And what, is, what does the angel do? I think this is so unique. Um, does he give him a rallying pep talk? He's like, hey, Elijah, uh, you just saw God drop a flaming bomb at your command on earth. And you're worried about a few words, uh, an empty threat of a woman? Does he give Elijah a prophetic word about what's about to happen in the future? Uh, does he teach him some sort of truth about what he's just not getting at that point? Does he tell him, does the angel tell him that he just has to have more faith? Like, Elijah, come on, man, you, can, you just got to have faith. Does he pray for Elijah? He's like, you know, Elijah, I'm going to pray for you right now. Does he encourage him? Oh, Elijah, you, it's okay. You can do this. You're going to make it through. The angel does none of these things. What he does is he gives him a loaf of bread and a jar of water and tells him to sit up and eat. Why? Because this is exactly what Elijah needed in this moment. And we know that this is exactly what Elijah needs in this moment because the angel is following a direct order uh, from the almighty creator of the cosmos. And so if anyone knows exactly what Elijah needs at that moment to fulfill the ministry and mission that God put him on, well, it's God, his creator at that moment. So hear me now. Um, I'm not saying that the ultimate way that, that we serve people is by making them food. It's not all that service entails. But what I think that this text makes clear um, is that the simple act of of meeting a basic need often goes well beyond um, just being a nice gesture for someone. There's something else going on there when we serve somebody, even a simple meal. Um, Elijah, he's at a terribly low point in his life. He's low enough to, to curl up into a ball under a tree and ask God to kill him. But Elijah's ministry and purpose, it it wasn't over. It wasn't fulfilled yet. And so God still had work for him to do. So the angel comes and gives him bread and water and says, wake up and eat. So Elijah does that and and he goes back to sleep. And this is one of those moments I know that the Bible is authentic because it says that the angel wakes him up again and is like, hey, you didn't eat enough. Eat a little bit more, uh, drink a little bit more because you, you have a lot of work to do. And then look at verse 8. And and he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. That's some serious bread and water, huh? That would be awesome. The gift of service, the gift of service is the ability to discern the needs of a brother um, or a sister um, and setting out to meet those needs. And it can be as complicated as orchestrating kind of like the first socialist food pantry salvation army uh, for thousands of people, uh, but it can also be as simple as fixing somebody a meal. But it, allow, it, it, it requires the discernment to say, hey, you look like you need some food right now. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to tell you to have more faith. I'm not going to tell you to, to give, like, give you a prophetic word or, or say, hey, you need to keep running at this point. Let's just go grab a bite to eat. You, need to, you look like you need to take care of yourself right now. So, do you have the gift of service? So by now, it should, it should hopefully be a little bit clear as to whether or not uh, you have the gift of service. And so, remember, we talked about everyone here um, is called to do, will be called to do many of the gifts that we're talking about, but we're talking about people who have a special portioning of the gift of service. Um, we talked a lot about administrative aspects of service, uh, but at the core is being able to discern uh, the needs of others and then meet them. And so sometimes it's harder for us to see these gifts in ourselves. So I, let me give you some ways to identify in other people. This is helpful, right? We'll see. Let's, let's go. So 
a person. So think about all the people you know, your, your closest brothers and sisters in Christ, people who you interact with in your small groups, people who you see on a regular basis. Um, the person with the gift of service uh, is going to be the person who's comfortable working behind the scenes to meet needs. Right? So that's kind of like the first one. Um, they're usually, if you're at like a party or if you're hanging out with, with people where there's, where there's food that needs to be served and things that need to be done, they're usually um, the last person to like sit down and enjoy the party if they ever sit at all. Uh, they will typically be list makers. So if you see someone with tons of sticky notes all over everything to get stuff done, um, they, might be, uh, they might have the gift of service. Um, People with this gift are going to prefer supportive roles uh, rather than leadership roles. That's just how they're going to be drawn uh, when, when, when there are a list of responsibilities and roles to fill. Um, they're going to have a hard time saying no if they're being asked for help. Right? So you might have that person in mind where you're like, oh, I know who I can ask for help. I need to move this weekend. I, like This guy will never say no or this girl will never say no. That person probably has the gift of service. Uh, I think there's a... a an important one, when uh, the person with a gift of service, uh, when they see something being done poorly, uh, their first instinct is going to be to offer help instead of criticism, right? So if they see something that's just like out of place, they're going to be, hey, can I help you? As opposed to maybe someone with the gift of prophecy or whatever, leadership to be like, hey, a better way you can do that is if you, and that's helpful too, but I'm just saying the gift of service is going to be like, hey, let me give you a hand with that, right? (laughs) They're going to be more inclined um, to offer help. So if you've got someone in mind right now that fits these, right? Not, maybe not all of them, but some of them, um, then tell them. You should tell them this. Um, even if they already know it, even if you're like, oh, we, we did a spiritual gifts questionnaire and, and they got service, and they, but you should still tell them and, and help affirm that gifting in their life and encourage them to use it. Um, some of us aren't using our gifts because, because we don't know them. So uh, having them pointed out and affirmed in community is a way that we can learn what our spiritual gifts are. So if you know someone, if you're thinking of someone, let them know this week. Maybe let them know today. Hey, I think you have the gift of service. Can you help me this afternoon? Right? <laughs> others, of us, um, others of us might know that we have the gift of service, uh, and we're not using them purposefully. We, we're choosing not to use our gift of service. Uh, we might look around and see gaping holes uh, in, the, in the building or in the driveway um, uh, or, or other needs, um, but are just consciously choosing not to meet those needs. And, and I'm sure that, that there are reasons that we have for doing this, but I would imagine that, that the reason why people have any gift um, and choose not to use it is because they've experienced a very broken uh, use of that gift, very broken use of that gift. And, and, and you would like to think that uh, being able to see needs and meet them is like too simple to be broken, but it's not. Um, I think there are two consistently broken ways to exercise the gift of, of service, and I want to point them out to hopefully help us avoid them, but then also maybe to receive um, some healing as well. So number one, um, a broken way that we can, we can serve is to serve out of obligation or duty. If you're serving out of obligation or duty. Some people might have the gift of service, but it's connected to a broken view of the gospel. Um, it might be that, that you're using your gift to see and meet needs, but you're doing it out of obligation to either be right with God or simply because there's like this feeling like, well, I have to do this. I, I can't not do this. So the gospel truth into that lie would be that what makes you right with God um, is Jesus' death on the cross. And you are free to use your gift to glorify him as a response to that grace. So you're serving, your ability um, to see and meet needs is not part of this transaction for your salvation. The transaction has been fully completed by Jesus Christ already, but then you're freed to use your giftings, independent of your status um, and and presence before God. So when we serve, um, out of duty and obligation. Uh, we don't, we're not able to serve and experience joy as we serve. Well, it, it'll be something that we have to do as opposed to something that we get to do, which is what service is. It's something that we get to do in order to bless other people. But when we serve out of obligation and duty, it becomes something that we have to do uh, and that there's no other choice. And, and that's a stifling place to use the gift of service. 
So that's, that's one way that's broken. And another way uh, that it's broken um, is when we serve in order to have an identity um, and in order, or in order to get commendation. So when we serve to have an identity or to get commendation. Some people might have the gift of service, but it's connected to a broken view of themselves. Um, you might fall into this place if, if your identity is attached to your ability to serve the needs of other people. Uh, people who serve for identity or commendation will, will typically get a little puffed up uh, and, and feel a little bit of a high when they get recognized for the, their hard work. And so the gospel truth to speak into this lie uh, would be that Jesus is your identity, not your work. Um, that the God of the universe chose you. He loves you um, and has given an identity that, that you don't need to forge on your own. Um, also, that, that your value isn't derived by how much you're valued by another person or, or a church or an organization. It, it's derived um, from the life of God's only son, which is already given to you as a, as a ransom for your life. So that's where the value of your life resides, not in the ability um, to serve. And so you might serve uh, others really well. If you have the gift of service, and even if you go down these two roads, you might do a really good job um, serving other people. Um, but if, if you don't get recognition for that service or are not appreciated for it, it will crush you. It, it'll just send you into a despair. Like, why didn't they see me do that? I worked so hard. No one even noticed me. And so whether it's serving out of obligation or duty or serving um, for an identity or for accolade, these two broken bents of service are never sustainable. Never sustainable. You might be able to do it for a while, right? Uh, but you can't do it forever. Um, they will always lead people to a place of bitterness and resentment and burnout from serving. And so if you're not using the gift of service today, you know you have the gift of service, uh, and you, you probably experienced some sort of burnout because you weren't using it in the way that God designed it to be used, which is okay. Maybe you didn't get pastored through that. This is, the, this is kind of the purpose of the spiritual gifts uh, sermon series this summer is that we'd be able to pursue these gifts in a healthy, sustainable, God-glorifying, uh, God kingdom-growing kind of way. So how can we as a church um, love those with the gift of service in light of these broken bents uh, about pers uh, of, of pursuing the gift of service? Um, the, the challenge of the gift of service is that it's not at the forefront. Um, there, there's little to no recognition relative to the other gifts like uh, teaching or, or preaching, typically because it's just behind the scenes. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful and, and blessed because after preaching, people will say, hey, uh, thank you, right? People who serve in the background don't get that. Uh, and so I'm, I'm humbled by that, and, and I appreciate that, and, and it does build me up, and I, and I take it with a grain of salt, and, and I get other feedback too, so it's not all, you know, good. Um, but so, and so people in the back, they don't, get that. Um, and, and so we see that, that um, you, you just, you, you don't hear the engine oil um, of a car being praised at a car show, right? You go to a car show, they're not like, man, this engine oil, full synthetic, the 10W30, it's really awesome. No, no one's like pumped up about the engine oil, but none of those cars could, could have made it there without oil um, in their engine. So this is true here at Mercy House as well. So without looking Look, keep looking at me. Who's running the slides right now? Anyone know? Raise your hand if you know who's running slides. Five, six, seven people? Okay. Uh, raise your hands if you know who cleaned the, the toilets this morning. Nobody. Maybe the toilets aren't clean. I don't know. I'm, assume, I'm assuming the toilets got clean this morning. Who knows who set out all of these, uh, these thank you, or what are they called? Note cards with envelopes and pens? A few people. Okay, the idea is that a lot of you don't know, right? And, and I don't even know how these things um, got done this morning. Who's going to sweep up all of the crumbs after the kids have a food fight after service? Does anyone know who sweeps? Nick, Nick is doing it this week. He, he's going to be our poster child for gifts of service. Awesome. As a church, we need to be encouraging the people 
who serve, um, not just with like a flattery, uh, but, but by pointing them to the larger gospel vision of how their service is helping to grow our church as a whole. Um, it, it doesn't help to just puff them up um, and, and say like, hey, you're doing awesome. You're, you're so uh, good for you. Awesome job serving. No, that's not helpful. Uh, but it does help to let them know uh, that they are appreciated, um, that you see them serving God and that, that it could be encouraging to you um, in, in your faith. Um, and to let them know that no matter how simple or mundane a task is, that it, it helps this church run. And the purpose and mission of this church is not just to be here in this room on Sunday morning, but, but to, to add to the transformation of the valley as a whole. So we're on like a larger mission and service fits into that. And Robert has mentioned this, um, but if you're on the servant team, um, every meeting, you're, you're going to be hearing about what God is doing at Mercy House. You're going to be hearing about the people who got baptized, uh, conversations about faith, people uh, whose marriages are, are being built back together, like all of the awesome things that, that God is doing. And, and the reason is because there is a correlation between faithfully cleaning and setting up this, this space and then providing a place for people to sit into chairs, to then hear the word of God, and then also to have their lives then transformed by it. You guys see that process? It's a machine, and it moves and requires lots of moving parts. It's not just a person standing up here reading off of a manuscript sermon, right? There are tons of parts into uh, how God moves and operates his church. So, service is, is essential to the kingdom growth. It, it is essential uh, to kingdom growth. Um, so I, I began this morning by saying that we're all capable um, of all of the spiritual gifts um, by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and will almost inevitably be called to use them. So even if we're not officially gifted with a particular gift, we can still use the gifts. And, and these are not exclusive superpowers, right? Um, but they are holy responsibilities that are given to us um, to mature, as we mature in our relationships with God uh, to grow the kingdom of God. And, and so while this sermon might be a little bit more helpful to those um, who have that extra portioning of the gift of service, it doesn't mean uh, that the rest of us are exempt from serving, right? Just because you're not good at it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing it. As we end, I want to look at just one last passage on service. Turn with me to Matthew 20, Matthew chapter 20. Again, this is going to be on the screen behind us. This is nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, In verse 20, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, this is Jesus, came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And, she, and he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been, been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them uh, to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave." even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So notice here that Jesus is talking about being a servant as he's talking about being a servant. He's not only uh, talking to those with the gift of service, right? Um, he's talking to all of his disciples. And what he's doing is giving them a vision for how his kingdom as a whole is going to work. Um, in, in the time of the disciples, and even today, power and authority is exerted top down, right? So you have a king, a ruler, a president uh, who holds an office of authority, and, and others, um, others who do not have that power and authority are subjects underneath that power and that authority. And so this mother of the two disciples, bless her for trying to do something good, um, I think, I would imagine, is asking Jesus, Hey, Jesus, when you are king over, over everyone else, um, can my sons be there with you up here? Right? That's something a, a mom would ask, or my mom would ask that too. And so can, can my sons be with you in your authority over all of creation and every, everything else? And, and Jesus responds by explaining that um, 
his kingdom is going to be a little bit different than the way that all of the kingdoms on earth have worked. It's not going to be how the world operates, where authority is achieved by pushing others down so that we can climb up higher to authority. It's actually going to be the exact opposite, that greatness is going to be measured not by how many people you have underneath you, but how many people you can get under to then serve humbly underneath them. Uh, Jesus is, uh, his, he essentially responds by saying, do you want to be where I am? Well, this is where I am. <laughs> this is where I am. Not in having lording my authority over all of creation, but, but humbling myself into creation to wash your nasty, dirty feet, right? That's where God is. And so the ultimate act of service, though, um, it wasn't meeting the tangible needs of his disciples, um, sure, he, he fed them uh, on, on lots of occasions. Um, he would wash their feet. But the ultimate act of service that Jesus performs for his disciples and for us was meeting our deep spiritual need through his death on the cross. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, breaking it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Um, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance um, of me. We're going to take communion, and um, the reality that I want us to meditate on is that we are all called to serve. All of us are called to serve. Um, we're, we are called to see the needs of our brothers and sisters and then to meet those needs. And, and some of us are just more gifted at that um, than others, but nobody who is a believer in Jesus Christ is exempt from doing these things. The only way that we can serve, uh, the only way that that we can lay down our lives in service like Jesus did um, is to draw from the mercy that we've experienced from God. This is the foundation of the sermon series on using your spiritual gifts. The well of God's grace is the only one that is deep enough um, to sustain fruitful, healthy, joyful service to one another um, as we go about our lives. So take some time. Uh, the way that we do communion is this side goes down, and we're going to have a couple people standing here, um, and you're going to come down in a single-file line and then come around and grab um, your communion cup and circle back around to your seat, um, and you can take it at your own uh, time. Um, and when you do that, I, you know, I want to encourage us to take some time to uh, really just be asking God that maybe he reinvigorate in us a, a heart for service. Um, whether we've been burned, um, burnt out, um, just experienced lots of brokenness in service, pray that God would be healing that because he will, uh, bringing you to a place where, where you can serve joyfully and fruitfully. Um, and maybe if you're not serving or you've never served or you just don't know how to serve, pray that God would give you ways to serve your brothers and sisters here in the church. There is no shortage of opportunities to serve. Right? It's not like there's a certain amount of things to do and then we're like good for a while. That's never the case with God's kingdom. There's always a way to be serving our brothers and sisters and releasing them to do the things that they've been called to do. Um, so be praying about that uh, as we take communion. Um, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian this morning, this is a great time to so just sit. Um, you, can, you can meditate. You can pray uh, about some of the things that we're talking about here. Um, there are going to be some people in the back, including myself, if you want to ask questions, if you want prayer, if you want to pray for us, uh, we'll be back there uh, and, and would be glad to do that with you. And yeah, and we welcome that graciously. So uh, the band's going to come up. They're going to serve by singing some songs for us. Um, Yeah, let me pray for us. God, we thank you that that you have rescued us um, from sin and death. God, we thank you that uh, you have rescued us uh, not just just to uh, be stagnant, but to live out um, a a glorious mission and calling um, that you have created for each and every one of us. God, would you show us um, how to serve our brothers and sisters? Would you uh, press on our hearts people um, that could use... um, serving, God? Would you ultimately sustain our hearts of service? Um, Lord, that as we uh, think about our schedules and how it can fit in and and how we'd be able to have enough energy to do everything, God, uh, would we be drawing from you um, and and not just our own wells um, of energy and strength, but that we would be looking to the mercy and grace that we've experienced from you uh, to sustain uh, the the, the service that, that you call us to do.
We love you, God. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your, the life that we get to have in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.